Hi, everyone, and uh, welcome to our podcast for Inclusive Workplace and Supply Council of Canada, or IWSCC. Uh, my name is Deidre, and uh, I am the president and co-founder of the IWSCC. And uh, what we do, actually, just as a quick recap, is we, we do our best to source uh, businesses that are owned by veterans or by people who have disabilities, and often those two intersect, uh, and we put them through a certification process to show that uh, they are at least 51% uh, owned, operated, and managed and controlled by that diverse person, one or more. Uh, and then we create fantastic networking opportunities for them. So um, I just wanted to say that uh, our production today is brought to you by Remote Video. And if you happen to be watching the podcast on uh, to YouTube, you'll see that we have ASL interpretation, and that is brought to us by uh, uh, Maple Communications, both of which, by the way, are uh, businesses that are certified with IWSCC. So I wanted to introduce another business that's certified with IWSCC, and also the IWSCC's co-founder, Jeff Wilson oh. from Adaptability Canada. And so he and I started this venture a number of years back, and Jeff has since stepped away and uh but i've carried on with it so jeff great to have you here thanks so much uh just tell us a little bit about who you are and and what do you do with yourself well uh, before i start first of all thank you for having me and secondly uh, and probably most importantly well done on iwscc uh Deidre. you've done an amazing job thank you and people should know that uh so thank you as this uh, organization it. grows and gets more powerful and more influential that all really boils back to you so i'm proud of you Thank you. Right. A little bit about me, I guess. Um, so I am a rabid entrepreneur. Uh, I have a disability. I'm bipolar, uh, which means, uh, according to most of society, I'm nuts. Uh, but that uh, has its advantages, uh, I suppose, at times. Uh, you get first in line most places, if they know. And um, <laughs> people usually give you clearance in the supermarket if you start, uh, you know, acting up. Uh, at, Outside of all that, I'm, I'm, I'm joking, of course. Um, uh, my background is in uh, something called customer experience design. I've been doing that for almost 25 years. Uh, I've done that around the world um, uh, for big brands. Uh, at one point, uh, my work was represented in five of the Fortune 10, uh, which is great. Um, I'm very proud of that. I was very fortunate. Um, but that work is focused on basically understanding customer need. And over the years, the decades, I switched from focusing on helping uh, corporations build market share into focusing on corporations helping those uh, that couldn't help themselves or were being used or downtrodden or oppressed or, you know, specifically people with disabilities uh, who mm -hmm. have been marginalized for a long time. Uh, and continue to be, uh, specifically those with invisible disabilities, uh, like myself, like you, uh, like millions of others in Canada. So uh, right now, our work focuses primarily on real estate and integrating the needs of uh, what we call experiential design, which is designed in five distinct layers uh, within real estate. That is the uh, mental layer, the emotional layer, the physical layer, which everybody knows about. Uh, and the audible and visual layers. So what we do is really kind of look at how to combine this into a holistic customer experience that works for everyone, uh, not just people with disabilities, but other marginalized or diverse communities, such as LGBTQ, veterans, indigenous, 
visible minorities, religious minorities, you name it. So, um, and we are also uh, delving into accessible procurement in a major way. Uh, we are not experts in, in accessible procurement, as I like to very fondly remind people. Uh, no one is uh, yet. Uh, however, we are building expertise in that area. Um, Adaptability Canada is a company that has specialized in really kind of attacking these big, complex, ugly areas of business that nobody has tackled yet. Uh, and they're big and complex and hard to change. And so that's what we, that's what we do best. Is that, so that kind of leads me into, yeah, okay. it'll do. Yeah, it'll do for now. Uh, right, There's cool. more. I mean, there are a couple <laughs> more questions, so I don't of know course. if you realize that. I did send you notes, but oh, you know. I thought we were done. <laughs> right. So I do, I do want, I want you to talk a little bit more about Adaptability Canada, uh, but but why you started it, and you know why, like you talk about your experience with the experiential design, but you know what were you seeing and what was happening that made you decide to start Adaptability Canada, and and tell us a little bit about the progress from the very beginning to now. Yeah, it, it's interesting. In the last two years of my um, of my marketing company, uh, when I was there, I um, I had a client, a single client that I was working on, which was a company called MV1 Canada, and they were the first factory built accessible vehicle. And the fantastic thing about this client was that I got to go out and meet the entire uh, disability community uh, across the country, um, and we're not talking just mobility based which is what the vehicle specialized in, but it was every uh, disability. And, and most times someone with a disability has multiple disabilities. They'll have mm. chronic uh, disabilities or chronic conditions that are uh, partly due to aging. They might be progressive conditions, might be episodic, but everybody really was kind of in the same bucket. Um, what I discovered uh, was both amazing and alarming at the same time. First of all, this is a community uh, that, was genuine and authentic and pure of heart uh, more than anyone else I'd ever met in my entire life. I met more amazing people in that two years than I had in my entire life before it. I'll give you an example. Uh, I met a family uh, where the parents had four kids, three of which had severe disabilities. Uh, mm. The oldest was 10. The youngest was two. Uh, and mm. they, uh, their life was devoted to their children. Uh, but they struggled more than anyone I'd ever met in my entire life. Um, the uh, father was a long haul truck driver because that's what made the most money for the family. Uh, so the mother was at home caring for four kids, three of which had severe disabilities, two of which were in wheelchairs. Uh, so we're mm. talking severe MS, severe cerebral palsy uh, were the uh, conditions. Uh, she would carry three kids out to a vehicle, a van, she would put in two wheelchairs, all of the gear, just loading up to go somewhere like a grocery store took about 45 minutes to an hour. And then wow. unloading at the store with all the kids, the 10 year old would help uh, the mother care for the children, but there was no community support here. There was no organizational support. They, they, all the sources were dry. Usually that helps once in your lifetime mm -hmm. for a child and never again. And so um, one of the biggest struggles they had was with going to community centers, going to play centers, um, going just to a library, school, 
none of this was designed for their family. Um, it, it was, um, you know, as if life wasn't hard enough for them and all the extra costs they had, they had this on top of it. And so I started looking into real estate and how um, ass backwards it all was um, mm. that accessibility at best was a minimum at best was solely focused on basic access into a building. And a lot of times that was even terrible uh, or not maintained. Uh, and how after that, it was really up to them. There was nothing in the workplace. It was all accommodation based. It was all, you know, you had mm -hmm. to complain bitterly and loudly uh, for ages sometimes before anyone would do anything. And so I thought, you know, fuck this. Uh, I can do this better. Uh, this, this industry needs a champion. Uh, someone who doesn't take no for an answer, uh, and I don't, uh, and someone who, you know, necessarily isn't afraid to tilt at windmills if it's if it's the wrong <laughs> thing, and and change change direction and make sure someone is championing the people, but in a real substantial way. Given the background that I had dealing with large companies and government, uh, I knew how to um, approach them and approach them effectively to get them on board. And so founded Adaptability Canada really to focus on the needs of large uh, property managers and owners like the big landlords, uh, like the big corporations who own these massive footprints of land. I mean, Loblaws Corporation owns over 700 properties across Canada, mm -hmm. you know, not just in grocery, but in other areas. They have industrial, they have office, they have, you know, um, I don't know if they have residential, but just as an example. Uh, you know, um, so we decided to, to do that, uh, at the time it was, uh, <laughs> we certainly felt like a voice in the wilderness. Um, <laughs> everything back then was focused on AODA compliance. Oh, AODA, OBC compliance. Well, that was all a minimum. And when we pointed out that people with invisible disabilities weren't represented at all, not even the slightest. In fact, some of the stuff you guys were doing was against people with invisible disabilities, making things worse. Um, uh, you know, uh, it was a tough go at the beginning uh, and for something like this. And when you have the goal of making real, substantial, meaningful change in something like real estate, that's not something that's done overnight. This is a marathon, not a sprint. And so we've been running that marathon since 2013, early 2013. I had someone mention to me, uh, a, a client mentioned to me, this is a few years ago now, and I loved the way he said it, and I told him I was stealing it, and, and I have, as you're about to hear. He said to <laughs> me that uh, code is just the shittiest building you're legally allowed to build. And I thought, right. you know what? That's a really good way to put it. <laughs> yeah. Hey, glad you could do the minimum. Yep. Yeah, exactly. You know, that, you know yeah. don't, don't pop the champagne because you don't deserve it. Yeah. Uh, you know, yeah. uh, and, and that's exactly right. Um, you've done the shittiest job legally you had to do. Uh, and so our job has been not to try to press people to meet uh, building code because we don't care about that. They have to do that. Um, what we look at is what can we institutionalize as awareness and best practices for design around all the other stuff that's missing. Can we do a better job? And this really, we draw it back to a customer experience and an employee experience. If your goal is to earn the loyalty of customers long-term in these diverse segments, then you need to 
walk the walk or roll the roll or whatever you need to do and get past just words and empty promises. And that's what we're helping clients to do is really institutionalize this knowledge and then operationalize it, which is massive. Uh, so right now we have close to, I would, I would guess 150 million square feet of real estate under our influence, uh, our designs, uh, across Canada. Uh, and that covers oh. every spectrum, uh, or, you know, type of real estate there is from residential condos versus rental units versus seniors housing, uh, versus community housing. Uh, that's just on the residential side. Uh, then we have, um, uh, commercial uh, real estate in all its forms, uh, office, uh, mixed office retail, uh, you know, uh, work environments, warehousing, industrial, uh, all sorts of stuff like that to, to retail, uh, which, you know, is everything from grocery stores to um, big box. Uh, uh, we did work on huge format retail um, at one point to small, uh, you know, um, kind of franchise-based stuff, restaurants, uh, that kind of thing. Uh, and then, of course, there's all the um, institutional and government stuff, like community centers, uh, pools, uh, academic environments. Um, we've touched on everything. Uh, and what we believe is that the current standards and uh, building code is too generic to really make a difference in these environments. What it's done is basically creating this, this you know, lowest bar standard that can be generically applied across all buildings. Well, unfortunately, mm -hmm. it can't. Um, you you have to design for the use and for the people that will be in that environment. So that's where we are now. Um, uh, and, and a couple of other things on the go that I'm, yeah. I'm going to ask you. I'm going to ask you about shortly. Um, uh. You, you talk about having a disability, and I know that <clears throat> often people look at uh, the word disability and they, they simply see someone, I don't want to say simply, but they, they see someone in a, in a chair, for example, that uses a chair uh, to get around a wheelchair, um, and that's kind of where it stops for them. But we know that disabilities are also mental disabilities, invisible disabilities. There's so many out there, uh, and it affects a, a large portion of our population. So having <clears throat> gone through all of this experience, and having a disability, how would you would you say that that has helped you in the accessibility world and what you do? Absolutely, and in a number of ways. Uh, first of all, I'm all about um, understanding the people we design for. Um, lived experience helps with that, uh, but more so, I think lived experience helps me navigate the conversations with other people and build mm. questions and engagement that really is authentic and meaningful. Um, there is a huge uh, stigma out there on uh, mental uh, disabilities, specifically mm -hmm. stuff like bipolar, um, like uh, schizophrenia, uh, all the kind of more severe conditions. Um, you know, um, there's more acceptance for other things like autism, because a lot of times it's about kids and nobody wants to criticize kids. Right. However, it's all words. Uh, there isn't much program support out there. Uh, there certainly isn't any support in the built environment for kids with autism uh, mm. and how they navigate the world. And so I think while, you know, my life experience and the life experience of my family, which has had, I, I, 
it's like we're playing uh, neurodiversity bingo uh, in my family. Uh, but, you know, we've, we've, we're close to a bingo. Uh, you know, we've got uh, bipolar, we've got depression, we've got autism, we've got Asperger's, we've got, uh, you know, OCD, you know, all these different PTSD, you know, all these different conditions. Um, that's really kind of, it kind of opens your eyes for how, uh, and your mind, uh, really to, first of all, I think acceptance is the big first mm-hmm. step, uh, accepting that, um, these people, uh, with these conditions are still people and we should treat them as such. And there's a respect and a dignity qualifier there on other people to act accordingly. A lot of times people know how, don't know how to act. So when I say I have bipolar <laughs> condition and mixed audiences, there's actually sometimes a physical recoil or a step back. Yeah. And which I laugh at, uh, you know, it's like, I'm going to take a machete out of, you know, my pocket and, you know, <laughs> go mental. Like, I, I just, I don't understand it. Yeah. Um, you know, Hollywood hasn't done us any favors no. uh, because they cast uh, mental health in such a dramatic light uh, instead of the thousand shades of gray that it is. Uh, and I think that's what we really work to understand is that, um, you know, how, how can we really navigate this terrain effectively and represent everyone so there isn't anyone missed now, which has been the problem in the past. Um, anyway, I, I, I'm, I'm rambling a bit, but. Um, <laughs> That's quite all right. It's interesting. But I am going to change the topic a little bit okay. um, because, as you know, IWSCC, Inclusive Workplace and Supply Council of Canada. Mm-hmm. So we have a, a focus on uh, supporting our corporate members and, and our suppliers or anyone who's willing to listen and, and be interested uh, in accessible workplaces. So what do you consider with, with your experience and, and knowledge? What do you consider to be an accessible workplace? What is it and what yeah. is it not, I guess? Mm, okay. Well, um, I would <laughs> uh, put forward that no workplace uh, today is inclusively designed. Uh, mm-hmm. They may have met the minimum requirements for mobility-based accessibility, but almost every workplace uh, is going the opposite direction when it comes to supporting invisible disabilities and stuff that actually impacts productivity. Uh, corporations are all about productivity and happy employees and are we getting the most out of them? Uh, and the answer is no, uh, you're not. Um, so uh, everything from you know workplace accommodation, which in most organizations is broken. Uh, you know, if a chair takes five months to get to a person because they have back issues, uh, that's that's not good. Um, mm-hmm. There is no privacy in workplaces today. Uh, there is no sound uh, management. Um, you know, uh, most meeting rooms are fishbowls now with the new kind of workplace design. It's so edgy and creative. Well, you know what? You're not doing yourself any favors. Um, you know, there's no life in the workplace, uh, which goes to fighting depression. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of uh, workplaces have gotten rid of uh, personal space altogether. And they have hoteling, uh, which is yeah. probably one of the worst uh, things you can do for people with any kind of anxiety, uh, depression, uh, you know, PTSD, that kind mm-hmm. of things. Um, because you're basically you're uh, creating uncertainty every single day in that person's mm-hmm. life. I always imagine people with anxieties racing to get into the office like way right. earlier than everyone else so they can get to the place where they're comfortable. And that's not good. No, it isn't. Uh, and what if they don't? Uh, yeah. You know, so they're worrying all the way there. Did I get my spot? Did I get my spot? And when yeah. they get there, they're thinking, can I get the same spot tomorrow? Yeah. 
it yeah. it sits like a tick in their brain and it yeah. won't leave. It wouldn't and not right. And you know, having uh, spoken to hundreds of people within workplace environments uh, about stuff like this, uh, it's not getting any better. It's getting worse. Uh, right now, office design is about usually one thing: uh, saving money, lessening your real estate footprint so that you can impact your bottom line. The trade-off is employee productivity. And employee so, turnover, I would think, especially with- Well, another, yeah, you're not yeah. retaining employees by by doing this. You're actually creating an environment where uh, employees will be more likely to leave, particularly as it becomes more competitive to find a private, you know, safe spot. And let's talk, you know, emotional safety in the workplace, because mm-hmm. that's really what this boils down to. Do I feel safe? Do I feel comfortable working here? And a lot of times the answer is no, but people put up with it because they need the money. When a better solution comes along, a better employer who has maybe made some positive design changes in the right direction or will allow work in a modified uh, you know, space like home or work from a cafe or work, you know, maybe there's ways to embed privacy in the workplace for people that need it. Mm-hmm. It's not being done. So until it is, and until companies realize that privacy and and emotional safety and security are probably the number one determining factors in employee retention now past pay and the mm-hmm. basics, the price of entry, that they're going to keep losing people. They're going to keep seeing productivity go down. They're going to keep having uh, challenges and people taking uh, mental health days more and mm-hmm. more and more. Uh, leave PTSD leave. Uh, you know, it's a thing, uh, and and it's and it's something that every corporation should be concerned. If we talk about corporate social responsibility uh, at a board level, uh, you know, as uh, as you know, their commitment to the community and the environment. Well, where's the where's the commitment to the employees? Where's the commitment uh, at the board level to corporate social responsibility inside? The organization in the building and making sure that these folks that's right right in our yeah. work environments in our retail environments um and lord knows uh you can't deliver a high quality consistent uh customer experience without a high quality consistent employee experience and that starts with um uh, mental health and well-being yeah right? so which you know and real, a little real bit estate's of- being ignored almost entirely for its impact on that yes and it's not hard work, right? It's, you know, no, it some, some color on the walls and some plants and, you know, some strategy you know, surrounding Instead of fabric placement. walls, uh, how about some plants, right? Like high, yeah. high plants that also block visual, you know, seeing dozens of people walking around and talking or having meetings five feet from you. You know, can we put some sound dampening in that's, mm-hmm. that's cheap and cheerful? Can we put plants in to show that there's actual life uh, outside of uh, the building? You know, like a lot of this is simple. Um, but will they do it? Mm, who knows? Right? It's, I hope so. It's it's not an imperative yet. Let's let's put it that way. Yeah. Yes. Um, all right. We're changing topics a little bit again. Uh, oh, kind of exciting. back again. Back to entrepreneurship in the oh, in the disability okay. community. And I'm I'm interested in your perspective on the on the entrepreneurial landscape for folks with disabilities in Canada. How do you see that? Where do you see it going? Well, I think a lot of people with disabilities are pushed into entrepreneurial uh, ventures. I know I was. Um, mm-hmm. 
I was a, you know, a triangular peg in a world of round holes. Uh, I didn't fit anywhere. Um, my skill set was uh, broad. Um, uh, you know, a lot of people didn't believe it. Um, you know, so I made my own way, uh, and it was hard. Um, there is barely any support out there for disabled entrepreneurs. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, what is out there is extremely difficult to get. Uh, you know, uh, a lot, I think of entrepreneurs struggle, um, because they're passionate. Um, and that passion makes them vulnerable, uh, to people, corporations taking advantage of them, not paying enough for what they have to offer. So I think, um, you know, uh, we're one of the few companies that's been able to crack that ceiling and work with major corporations. I mean, that's all we work with, uh, and, and dozens of them across the country. Um, but these small businesses don't know how to do that. And corporations are doing them no favors in the way they engage, uh, which kind of leads into accessible procurement, mm -hmm. but it's really how they see small companies. It's almost like they see them as a nuisance, uh, as a risk. Uh, to do them. Like if I hire these people, can they actually do the job? Which should be a question they ask of any company, uh, you know, because, uh, you know, I've seen big companies fail large, <laughs> you know, yes. uh, servicing other big companies, but they don't, you know, they're not going to get fired for doing that, but they might get questioned severely for uh, hiring a small company that, that screws up, uh, but will, you know, fall over themselves fixing it. To fix it and not yeah. make excuses, you know. Uh, so there's there's a double standard, a vicious double standard uh, out there in the corporate community for hiring and working with small businesses. As an entrepreneur with a disability, um, the government needs to be better at it. Industry needs to be better at it. Building programs, um, building what I call on ramps to doing business. Uh, you know, uh, getting funding. Um, mm -hmm. uh, you know, uh, is almost impossible as. Uh, an entrepreneur with disability, there are no uh, specific funding uh, instruments for people with disabilities. And I know that banks, when banks hear there's a disability, they look the other way. But, you know, there's, right. <clears throat> here's a reason not to give you money. And so that often happens. Right. And, they, and, they'll, and they'll take it every single time because they're all about risk. And they see mm -hmm. uh, small entrepreneurs with a disability as not just risk, but big risk. Right? Yeah. Oh, they're unstable. Yeah. <laughs> Where'd you get that? You know, I'm more, I'm more stable than you are. Uh, you know, uh, you know, sorry, I don't, I don't buy into that rationale. Uh, and it needs, uh, it needs an overhaul. Um, and that's really a stigma or almost a systemic bias in agreed in industry, in government towards entrepreneurs with disabilities. Um, you know, and, there's nothing on the horizon right now uh, that deals with that. I mean, IWSCC is almost like an island unto itself for helping disabled entrepreneurs mm -hmm. get on that path uh, and and find some actual meaningful help. Uh, you know, but there's nothing else out there like this and to our know, knowledge. When <clears throat> when we do matchmaking with our corporate members, they are always impressed, but also 
underneath there is a layer of surprise at how competent and relevant and effective and together and smart and organized and innovative our suppliers are. Now, we work with Mm -hmm. veteran and disabled suppliers, and and often those two, as I mentioned, intersect. Um, But it is always that kind of undercurrent after the fact. We we get replies from people often saying, oh, wow, I mean, they were really great. And I can can hear the surprise and that, you know, oh, wow, this is a bunch of people with disabilities. and, And still somehow they manage to have these great businesses and be very, very successful. And that stigma gets in the way. And maybe because they have those disabilities, they have those great businesses, right? Yep. Um, I, I would add that the corporations should also have a good measure of shame uh, after calls uh, like that for right. what they're not doing to help this community. Um, sure, be surprised, uh, be pleasantly surprised, uh, you know, fine. But you should also be ashamed of your stance on these companies up to this point. Mm. We've been here all along. Where have you been? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, um, I'm, uh, <laughs> I've been walked out of a few boardrooms uh, for my opinions. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. Uh, but I, I will speak truth to power. And this is something that the corporates need to hear is mm-hmm. you can do so much better than you are right now and stop with the words, put it into action. That's what you need to do. Right. Cause Honestly, the whole accessibility community, particularly those in business, are just tired mm-hmm. of hearing the words. Mm-hmm. Tired of it. Yeah. It doesn't mean anything anymore. Your words are empty. Show us action. Yes. You know, and that's where it needs to get to. Um Yeah. Sorry, I just, you know, it, it pisses me off. It really does. <laughs> no, me too. You know, it, it does uh, me as well. And, you know, we work every day towards improving that, but it is a slow ride, yeah. a really slow ride. And, and I, I, it is. And it doesn't need to be. No. Right. Get the executive sponsor, get it done. Yeah. Put these programs into action. If you don't know what to do, well, come and ask us. Yeah. Exactly. Right. And we will happily guide you on that path. Yeah. But there's no excuse now. They have the money. They just don't have the willpower yeah. if they're not doing it. Exactly. So what are, you, what are you afraid of? So you mentioned a little bit ago about accessible procurement. And so that's where we're kind of going mm. to end off in the podcast um, because Adaptability Canada, along with uh, several other organizations, was awarded funding from the federal government uh, for accessible procurement. So can you, first of all, tell us what motivated your team to apply for this funding and then and then give us a bit more detail on the project. What What is it, the outcome? Where are you at right now? And how do people get involved if they're yeah. interested? Well, it's funny because uh, accessible, uh, so procurement itself, um, I've, I've had a lot of experience with procurement uh, over my 25 years in business. Um, some good, uh, some not very good at all. Um, but I looked at it the same way I did real estate when we first started the company. Here's an area that hasn't been touched from an accessibility point of view or an inclusion point of view. Uh, it is now, um, as, as we call it in, in the skiing world, because I was an avid skier, it's virgin snow, it's virgin powder. Um, here's a chance to do it right. And so we saw this as an extension of our customer exterior, uh, customer experience design methodology, uh, now applied to procurement, which is in its, you know, kind of big components, it's technology, 
it's process, it's policy, it's communications and data, it's relationships and it's people. Uh, and procurement has only evolved in the wrong direction uh, over the past hundred years. It's something that's barely changed, except to make it even more complex. <laughs> and we understand why it's complex. It's about legal and financial accountability, which you need because procurement is easy to abuse. Mm -hmm. um, and that needs to be retained, that you know, powerful you know, kind of gatekeeper job that is procurement. However, um, it has gone miles beyond where it needed to be as far as complexity goes. And so what we determined is that we could do a project here that kind of mapped out for the first time procurement as an ecosystem is the best way to describe it. And even as a life cycle hmm. uh, for relationships and how they work within the procurement ecosystem. Um, it's identifying all the different stakeholders that are there uh, from internal buyers to the procurement uh, folks themselves to uh, suppliers, including diverse suppliers, obviously with people with disabilities. Uh, but then we took it to the technology vendors as well, uh, SAP, Microsoft, uh, Salesforce, mm -hmm. uh, and folks like uh, Bids and Tenders, uh, Bid and Go, Mercs, those platforms, technology platforms that everybody uses. And then we also looked at the tier one uh, stakeholders. These are large companies usually that have standing offers with big organizations like federal government or like banks for technology delivery or professional service delivery. These are the Deloitte's, the BGIS's, the IBM's, the Microsoft's that do this. And what's their role and responsibility in uh, procurement and ensuring that accessibility is part of everything they do, that it's integrated. And right now, accessibility is not integrated at all. It's barely considered. Mm. People think about it as, a, you know, can I read this with my screen reader? Well, it's so much beyond mm -hmm. that. Um, and the fact is, is that invisible disabilities are a specialty as a firm. Uh, and we've been researching invisible disability uh, design for about four years now, hardcore uh, internally as an ongoing project. Uh, but procurement largely deals with invisible disabilities and your ability to understand and manage and feel safe about what's going on inside procurement. And that's our focus uh, is to really map that out, map the barriers, not just visible, but invisible, um, and start to look at how to fix this giant mm. construct, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, for lack of a better word. Uh, and so it's funny because we are, um, we have been in, uh, communications with the accessible, uh, standards Canada team that's doing accessible procurement. And, uh, we've had some, uh, we've had a great conversation with them. Uh, we're looking towards more, but I believe our work will influence that, uh, standard, uh, certainly maybe about how at least it's designed and implemented. Mm -hmm. We believe it should be multiple standards, not a single standard. If you do multiple, if you do one standard, it will fail. It'll be too complex mm -hmm. for people to understand and to apply. It'll be too expensive. Mm -hmm. uh, next to real estate procurement is probably the most expensive area of the business. So anyway, that's where we are. Uh, we are looking to apply again to look at a different area of procurement that is desperate, uh, desperately needed, which is the uh, design of 
uh, accessible design of services, products, and facilities. Mm. So that'll be a big one too. Did I answer your question, Deidre? I tend to go off. On yeah, these, no, you you, you know, did. Wild and wonderful um, tangents, but I know that <clears throat> there are ways that that people can get involved uh, with this. So, what would you right. suggest? Be uh, you know, what are some of the ways? I guess you can describe them, and and anyone wanting to get involved can reach out. I, I guess to me, and I can direct people yeah. through there. So. Right. So we are looking for partners. It's a terrible word. Uh, contributors. How's that? Yeah. Uh, to the research. Uh, so we are looking for uh, interview uh, subjects. We are looking for uh, ways to build out the uh, research uh, findings and deliverables at the end. We are uh, absolutely, you know, kind of siloed in what we deliver to the government, but that doesn't mean we can't go out of it for other partners. Uh, and we're taking that upon ourselves uh, to do. Um, so we will deliver a very specific uh, set of deliverables to the government, but the research is beyond that now. Uh, and this is something that we're hoping that industry and industry associations can pick up on and start to build some traction outside of government because we can't lay it all on government's shoulders to do. The second is uh, more meaningful, uh, which is actual help on expanding the research. So it's more focused on solution rather than understanding, um, which is where we need to go. We need solutions and we need them quickly. Um, we've got these great workshops that we've uh, we've uh, worked very hard on uh, framing out. There's two types. Uh, one is uh, to basically look at uh, procurement as a whole and the, uh, the more higher level issues that you may be having ver or, or there's a deep dive, which is one that kind of gets my juices uh, flowing, <laughs> which is to look at a specific, you know, kind of pointed problem uh, and deal with that, understand it, right? Really kind of dig around on it and say, okay, what's the path forward here? What are the key barriers that we need to resolve? Are they policy? Are they process? Is it communications? Uh, is it the people inside, you know, um, doing something that they shouldn't, right? Or or doing something that could be done better. Uh, mm -hmm. So that's, you know, that is a one-day workshop. Um, there is a kind of a, a preparation day to that as well, which is all mm -hmm. the kind of information uh, analysis, like the pre-information. And then there's a follow-up, basically a report from the workshop that arms that um, uh, that organization with the knowledge to go and start to deal with that problem. Um, uh, we are looking as well uh, after the fact and outside of accessible procurement on a solution framework uh, uh, delivered by Adaptability Canada and its partners. Uh, to really start to develop a roadmap for accessible procurement. And I think that's the best mm -hmm. thing we can do right now is develop that pragmatic roadmap that really kind of spells out, you know, the next 6, 12, 18 months and how this can, we can start on this journey, right? Um, it's prioritization, it's understanding, it's getting all the right people at the table. You know, uh, how often is legal involved in these conversations? because they're mm. a gatekeeper, right? Mm -hmm. They can kibosh deals faster than anyone else. Uh, <laughs> and they can also complicate deals faster than anyone else. Uh, so, and they're rarely engaged in this kind of dialogue. So we want to talk to them. Uh, so that, so that's where we're going that's with it. this. Um, there's the research 
uh, proper, and we do need uh, interview help with that. There's the expanding the research, which is all about working with real organizations to understand real challenges inside procurement. Uh, we've had a few of those conversations already. We have, uh, you know, a handful of large organizations looking at jumping in uh, on that, uh, which is great um, because every organization that comes in in that way gives us a deeper, better, broader understanding that we can share out with everyone else, which is amazing, right? So I hope to actually kind of create this collaborative kind of joint effort where the learnings from each organization can be shared generically, obviously not mm -hmm. giving away proprietary information or confidential information, uh, so that it can go to help others. Rising tide lifts all boats. That's what we're out to do here. Because um, we can't do it alone. Uh, it's just too big. Yeah. Uh, you know, um, it's you a know, big it's, animal. It, it's so complex. Yeah. And ha having people inside procurement get involved in this is so important to any kind of systemic change here. And this will be uh, a standard that people, that these organizations, particularly the federally regulated ones, and anyone I would say in the, you know, if you look at it like an archery target, uh, the bullseye is the federally regulated organizations. But outside of that are all the companies that do business with the federally them. regulated organizations yeah. where all of these accessibility standards will be pushed down. So yeah. if you cool. think this doesn't touch you, you're mistaken. It does. Mm -hmm. uh, so anyway, that's a, you know, it's our approach. Um, we are a very easy company to work with uh, <laughs> in that regard. Uh, you know, uh, we're not like a Deloitte, uh, you know, um, we, we do speak very simply and directly. Uh, a lot of companies find that refreshing to deal with, mm -hmm. uh, you know, but uh, I can promise you what we do together will be very, very meaningful uh, for your procurement organization. So. Okay, that's yeah. that's uh, that's some great opportunities, and and you want to get involved also with smaller like disabled-owned businesses as well, right? Like and, oh, yeah. and learn from yeah, them for, for sure. sure. Yeah, because they're the so. reason we're doing this, right? Yeah, um, yeah. So you want to hear yes. from them also? Yeah, yeah. And I mean, some of the stuff we're talking about in accessible procurement, I want to go to directly impacting in a in a positive way disabled-owned companies. Mm-hmm. And anyone dealing with intersectionality. I mean, there's LGBTQ companies, indigenous companies, veteran companies that also have disabilities. Mm -hmm. And so this isn't just touching directly on the disability community. It's all other diverse groups as well. Disability is a layer. It's not a silo. It's a mm -hmm. layer across all other diverse groups. Uh, yes. So here, here. Yeah. So <laughs> I think um, that uh, it is absolutely on us to make sure that the disability business community is well represented within this research and what we do. Um, some of the stuff we're looking at, you know, uh, is like a, almost like a procurement program specifically for this group. Uh, it's a carve out right. uh, of the budget they spend each year. And we're talking like 1% of 1%. Small percent. Yeah. yeah. Right. They're sole source contracts that you can look at the community and start test driving a relationship. <laughs> you know, you test drive a car before you buy it. Why not test drive a relationship uh, before you really, you know, get them involved? So can we dumb down a contract? Can we dumb down a purchase, mm. right? Can it be a micro uh, cosm? 
of procurement that is safe and inclusively designed for these folks to engage in a real meaningful way to meet the buyers, not just procurement people, in a safe, effective manner. Uh, and these are wonderful companies. Uh, yeah, uh, a lot of them may not be relevant to you, but maybe they're relevant to other companies you're working with. Maybe they're relevant yeah. to your tier one providers. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, that's one of the things we're looking at. I think certainly uh, educational programs inside the corporation for their buyers mm -hmm. and other influencers and for legal and financial to understand these companies is huge. It isn't done right mm -hmm. now. Uh, no. You know, City of Toronto um, probably did the best at this where they did, you know, kind of almost like business fairs, like open kind yes. of forums yeah. to meet the buyers, uh, which was great, but there was no real follow-on. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so they had a good idea. It just stopped short of being meaningful engagement. As effective as it could be. Yeah. Right. And so I don't, I mean, I don't like to call out companies and criticize them and I'm not criticizing the city of Toronto because they've done more than anyone else in this mm -hmm. regard. I just think it needs to go further and they may not know it needs to go further. That's, you know, that's part of the problem. Are we keenly aware of what's happening in the community? Um, and what's happening in our own procurement ecosystem, you know. So maybe that leads to our last question. Um, and I, I'm just, I want something that sort of jumps into your brain right away. Uh, but if you had the ability to make a change, what right now, today, what one thing would you change? Would you, would you like to see changed right now in support of disability, uh, accessibility, folks with disability, that whole area? Something you could just like decree and it was done. What would that be? Like, you know, rub a lamp and a genie pops out. You yep. have one wish. Yep. It's done. Sweet. Yeah. I love those. Um, <laughs> I like I, a genie too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, this is free. Uh, to do all it takes is effort by the corporation and a bit of time is build an understanding of who these people are and what they need mm. uh, at a more meaningful level understand them as businesses and how you can work with them because you keep treating them like they're big companies and they're not yeah uh, and I think that the ability to develop relationships, long lasting relationships with these companies is where I'd start. Because if you can do that, then by its very nature, you start to understand them better. You start to organically develop yeah. new programs, processes, policies, communications that are simpler, better for this group of companies yeah. and this group of people. Um, I've always said that, that, that change starts with just understanding. And right now we don't have it. And mm -hmm. so that's, you know, if we were to do anything, it, you know, the whole walk a, walk a mile in their shoes or, or roll a mile in their chair, um, mm -hmm. you know, that needs to happen. Perspective that it, it boils down to perspective. Um, because okay, let, I'm going to have to, yeah. I'll just keep looking on the beaches and stuff where I am this summer. We'll find that genie bottle. <laughs> we'll get it out. <laughs> that would be amazing. Cause I do have two other wishes kind of preloaded. <laughs> That have nothing to case. do with accessibility or disability. Accessibility. Right? Especially on a day like today when it's so hot, my number one wish is for me to scream, hey, Kool-Aid. And the Kool-Aid guy kind of, you know, breaks I'm out of the nearest wall through. and pours Kool-Aid for all of us. 
nice refreshing <laughs> orange Kool-Aid because that's the one I really like. Uh, yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, what a, to put a funny note on the end, I guess. But uh, but yeah, I mean, and hopefully it doesn't count, come down to, you know, we have to make a wish in order for this to happen. You know, uh, tongue in cheek. I hope that, that corporations start to do this and do it yeah. right. Uh, you know, um, stop hiding uh, and pretending that you're doing great things. Um, as most of the time you're not. Mm-hmm. Well, with that, awkward. Jeff, I'd like to thank you for being here on the podcast. It's been kind of fun to chat with you in this format because we do see each other in other formats on a regular basis. So I really appreciate your time and your insight uh, and your forthrightness. I think that this is something that yeah. needs to be heard. Uh, and so I appreciate that. So thank you very much for being here. Yeah. And the next podcast, I can come on as uh, Cousin It because uh, I'll have her thing. <laughs> I'll have the whole hair, like I grow hair like it's my job. So I'm rather like this. Not good. But anyway, thank you for having me. It's been wonderful. Um, uh, I have listened to uh, some of the podcasts. I'm, I'm trying to catch up, but you've done good. a great job on thank this. You. So thank well you. done, Adrian. Well done, Andrew. Uh, uh, yes. Behind the scenes. And I know people may not know about Andrew King, but find out about <laughs> Andrew King video. and the great work he's doing on this remote video. <laughs> Right. Check them out. All right. And thanks everyone else for joining us here today. Uh, for more supplier diversity content, you can always uh, reach us at iwscc.ca. You can find us on YouTube, listen in on your favorite podcast platforms. We have new episodes every month, typically uh, two a month, and lots more going on with IWSCC. So be sure to follow our social media, and we will see you again next time. Thanks, everyone. Thank you.